Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have a uh, a fascinating topic to discuss today, uh, especially for this first uh, hour of the program, because what we're seeing more and more is uh, people experiencing psychological trauma, uh, mental challenges, things of that nature. And we're actually going to, uh, you know, devote the next couple of days here on the program to talking about it. What's a faith-based response to it? You may have noticed in the culture that it seems like more and more young people especially are dealing with issues like, uh, you know, thoughts of suicide or depression, loneliness. I, I read one study, and this is anecdotal because I don't have the actual study in front of me, but I remember reading the headline. And it was talking about uh, the number of kids who attempted suicide during the uh, the, uh, the pandemic and it was something like one out of every 10 kids but then it they went on to uh, in the same study ask about sadness and loneliness especially among adolescent girls and in this one particular medical study 50 percent half of the girls that they surveyed who were in adolescence had experienced sadness or loneliness on a regular basis on the regular as the kids would say and it was amazing to me to think that Remember when social media first really became, you know, a big thing, the, the MySpace phenomenon? Well, instant messaging back 25 years ago was like a huge revolution. And then you had MySpace and then the smartphone and then Facebook opened up. And, and Facebook, remember, was a going concern for uh, college students and high school students long before we parents and grandparents got involved in it. And now most of your young people have kind of moved off of it. I, I, I used to post pretty regularly on that site. Uh, two of my kids have abandoned it altogether. Uh, you know, it's amazing how many things that you used to think, well, I can at least keep up with my kids because I see what I post or, you know, I kind of follow what they're doing. It's not true. I mean, I do have an Instagram connection with my biological children, but man, it's, it's just, you have to pick up the phone and call them, you know, <laughs> especially the ones in different states. I'm being somewhat sarcastic in that regard, but nonetheless, kids are at risk with it what happens in social media and actually someone is finally starting to pay attention to the fact that this huge spike in transgender activity may be more you know the old issue is it nature or is it nurture that makes us do what we do you know is it your dna the way you're wired uh, is it something you can't really avoid or is it your influences you know do you do you speak with the same I mean, do you speak with the same accent that your parents did and your grandparents and your relatives and there's a lot to be said for that. If you've ever been around people um, who, you know, have a certain level of education that maybe outstrips their parents or grandparents, and yet they still bring over, if you will, into their adult years relationships, uh, certain ways of talking, certain colloquialisms and things like that, for example. Um, th there's that part of the, the, the process. But then there's the part everyone's so focused on, like young people wanting to transition. You know, transgenderism is a big deal, but very few people seem to be taking into consideration that it isn't necessarily the kids wanting to transition because all their friends are. That's a part of it, but that's not the only reason. A lot of it has to do with the parents. On the one hand, you have some families where the parents are caught completely off guard. Uh, go back and look at my uh, interview with Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post about the uh, movie, the documentary called Dead Name. Um, which is about uh, dead name is a reference dead naming is a practice in the transgender community uh, whereby if somebody was born male and then they try to transition into being female uh, if you call them by their their male name that's called dead naming as in that person's dead to me and Brandon has talked to 
countless dozens if not hundreds of parents and grandparents who have reached out to him since he's been reporting on this for the christian post saying things like hey i'm a grandparent my granddaughter's transitioning and no one in the family will let me near her because i refuse to call her him and that type of thing and it's it's amazing how the you begin to realize wait there are a lot of these kids parents are saying i knew when he was two that he was really a girl trapped in a boy's body i mean the younger family uh, i think of is it jeff and then his uh, sons james and um Jude, I can't remember. It's a, it's another J name. James is the boy that uh, his his mother uh, said, "Hey, look, uh, this is really a girl. These are twin boys." And she decided that uh, one was a boy and the other was a girl. And she's gone to court. She's moved out of Texas into California. Um, and ironically, these are not even her own biological children. Um, but nonetheless, she, as a pediatrician, and all of her friends decided that the boy should transition. And um, so now he's 10 years old and he's they have court documentation of him telling the court, I don't like wearing a dress to school. I don't like it when they call me a girl. I love spending time with my dad because at least I get to be a boy. And for the past year and a half, because mom has more money and mom has more of the legal system in her back pocket, mom's winning all the court cases and dad has basically been shut out. And I believe he's working with Alliance Defending Freedom or one of those major organizations that is helping in his fight to get custody of his son back. The boy's only 10. He's trying to get him back into his custody before his life is irreparably damaged by this transgender issue. More and more states now are actually stepping up and saying, wait a minute. Um, The more you even hear from transgender activists who are saying, hey, look, Here's a person who made their transition when they were in their 20s or 30s. This should not be forced upon young children. And because now a group like Alliance Defending Freedom is making the point, and it's a very well-taken point, that most, if not all, of the operations and the medical procedures that are performed on these children have to be classified as experimental. And the reason they're classified as experimental is because there's no FDA approval. There's no AMA guidelines. Literally, it's just doctors who say, hey, did you try this with that? Yeah, guess what? It works. Oh, okay. Let's go ahead and do it. Alliance Defending Freedom has been picking these people off left and right. First, it's a lawsuit against the FDA saying, hey, look, all of these medications that you told us were safe as abortifacients, safe in air quotes, they were never tested properly to be used as abortifacients. They have other purposes, but you discovered that if you give mifepristone to a pregnant woman, it will starve her preborn child. And if you give uh, the the second medication, I don't have the name in front of me, um, afterwards, that will then force an abortion, uh, force the elimination of the child's body. Nothing has ever been tested. There is not one medical organization that will vouch for the fact that that is in fact safe and a good practice. Well, the same thing happens with these transgender medications. And Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel Matt Sharp is the director of the ADF Center for Legislative Advocacy. And as actually uh, last week, he uh, noted that Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, uh, Reeves rather, has signed a bill called the, uh, they call it the REAP Act, Regulate Experimental Adolescent Procedures that Protects Children from dangerous life-altering medical procedures. Not one of the cases, this is, I, I learned this from Brandon Showalter, if a boy is being transitioned into a girl, he will be given Lupron. Lupron stops the flow of testosterone um, and makes it possible 
then to effectively, if you give it to a prepubescent boy, it effectively stops uh, adolescence for the boy. Then estrogen can be introduced, surgical measures can be taken, and you can basically force that boy's body to kind of take on a more feminine-like quality. Lupron was approved by the FDA for use in adult men who are battling prostate cancer. The introduction of Lupron would temporarily stop the flow of testosterone, emphasis, temporarily stop the flow of testosterone through the prostate. Just long enough for them to administer radiation to chemo, do surgery. I mean, basically, it was like putting up a a roadblock on either side of the prostate to make sure that the prostate would not have all this testosterone in there so you could basically clean. I mean, imagine a road being knocked out for a while and you've got to repair the road. So you put up these two, I mean, with the rains and everything that we've experienced recently, you can relate to this, right? You block, you put a block on one side, put a block on the other. It blocks, basically they call them puberty blockers. It blocks the flow of testosterone. The surgical uh, measures and the chemo and radiation can be administered. Once the cancer is out of the way, you take the blockers off, let the flow start up again, and everything's fine in theory. But when you do that to a 10-year-old boy, you're doing irreparable harm to his body that's gearing up to become a man. Well, now, praise God, uh, pro-life Governor Tate Reeves has signed this bill that basically says you cannot use experimental drugs and life all do life-altering medical procedures on kids. Here's Matt uh, Sharp's uh, comment on the signing of this bill last week, the REAP Act. Denying the truth that we are either male or female hurts real people especially vulnerable children. Mississippi is right to stop the injection of political agendas into the healthcare system by ensuring that children are protected from life-altering experimental procedures and drugs. Science and common sense tell us that children are not mature enough to properly evaluate the serious ramifications when making certain decisions. The decision to undergo dangerous and likely sterilizing gender transition procedures is no exception. We are grateful to Governor Reeves, uh, Speaker Gunn, Representative Newman, and the Mississippi legislature for taking this strong stand for truth and the protection of Mississippi's children. Think about that for just a moment. The American Psychological Association, I believe, is the organization that has now deemed adolescence. Remember, we used to call adolescence that time when a, a child was going through you know, puberty, maybe age 12 or 13, all the way through 18 or 19. Now, adolescence in the United States ends at age 27. As far as I'm concerned, anyone who makes a decision as to whether or not to alter their gender before that age, it's child abuse. And yet, the same left that says, oh, don't be so hard on Johnny because he won't move out and get a job and this, that, and the other thing um, before he's 30, oh, you don't want to rush into marriage, you want to make sure you're okay, says, go ahead and lower the voting age to 16, lower the age of sexual consent to 14, lower the age of transgender consent to eight or seven, because these children know. Doesn't make any sense. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can have a look at it for yourself. And uh, and even if you feel up to it, uh, go on social media, drop a note to Governor Reeves in Mississippi, let him know you appreciate what he's done. There are some children who are dealing with uh, some legitimate gender dysphoria and some issues that need to be addressed in the church. There are some adults who've dealt with it too. But how can we in the body of Christ actually do a better job of dealing with these issues? Well, first and foremost, how about not running away every time somebody says, hey, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, depression. 
or schizophrenia or something of that nature. Uh, Dr. Ed Welch has written a book called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What does the Bible say? It's a great topic of conversation to have in the church pew and also uh, in your home as well. Uh, Dr. Ed Welch, who has a master's in divinity, so he's an ordained minister, but also a PhD and is a licensed psychologist, will give us a conversation about what to do in how we can be more effective in the church with regard to people with a psychiatric diagnosis. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into an issue that is uh, something that is becoming more and more common. And I get the suspicion that there are many people in the church who might be dealing with this issue and wondering, why does my church not necessarily have the right answer or even a certain level of compassion for someone who has been diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, something like bipolar disorder or PTSD or something like that. Uh, Today here on the program, we're going to talk about a brand new book called I Have a Psychiatric uh, Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? The book is written by Dr. Ed Welch, and uh, Dr. Edward Welch is uh, joining me here on the program to have a conversation about uh, psychosis and the scriptural renderings of what we're supposed to do counseling-wise and how maybe we in the body of Christ could do a better job of helping people who are working through these seasons. Dr. Edward Welch, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Roger, it is always a pleasure to be thinking about these things, so I'm glad to be here. Uh, Dr. Edward Welch has a master's in divinity as well as a PhD and is a licensed psychologist and a faculty member of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. He's been counseling for over 40 years and has written extensively on topics like depression and fear and addiction. And this new one, uh, even though the title is a little, well, how shall we say, exhortationally or uh, challenges, it's right in your face there. I have a psychiatric diagnosis. But this is becoming more common, is it not, Ed? I mean, it just seems like as we're having casual conversations, someone will say, oh, so-and-so is a narcissist or so-and-so is dealing with PTSD. And I can hear the pastors who are listening to us right now kind of running for the exit saying, oh, please, not another one. I, I, I went to seminary to learn how to feed the sheep, not to necessarily treat mental challenges. You're, you're identifying exactly some of the reasons I, I wanted to at least write these things down. The the momentum behind psychiatric diagnoses has been has been growing for decades. Uh, uh, I think when, you, when people talk about depression, uh, when they when they look at the, the rate of depression among those born before World War One and those who are are presently in their in their thirties or so, uh, they find upward to a tenfold increase of depression. Mm. 
uh, a conservative increase. And so obviously it raises questions. What's happened? Why, why is this happening? Well, what's happening in depression is happening really in, in almost any psychiatric diagnosis. And then the COVID, of course, became an accelerant for those. Right. Uh, and during COVID, uh, panic attacks, which 40 years ago, you describe a panic attack, and most people wouldn't know what you're identifying, but you describe it now, and everybody is, is shaking their head. Certainly every pastor mm-hmm. uh, is shaking their head, uh, knowing, knowing that this is what they're experiencing. So, so there's no question that, that the momentum behind psychiatric diagnosis is increasing and increasing rapidly. So we're all familiar with it. Either, either we are familiar with it because, because we fit in a particular diagnosis or there's somebody very close to us that we love who, who fits in it. So it is yeah. very close by. It does have uh, that reach. I remember talking with a, a woman who was part of a ministry that was helping veterans who were coming back from uh, uh, serving in active combat and talking about the reach of PTSD with our men and women in the military branches. And she said, just multiply it by a factor of 10 to 15. And that will give you, you know, the, the, the idea of what the Im- impact is like if a guy comes home and he's married and he's got kids and their family is, you know, close by and whatever, all of a sudden these things start to, uh, they, it just, it, it's a spider web. It just kind of keeps branching out and branching out. And one of the problems I think that a lot of people in our culture, you talk about the pastor who's, you know, in the pulpit every week and saying, look, I have a master's in divinity. I might have a master's in theology. I don't have a degree in counseling. I don't have a law degree and I'm not a CPA. So I don't know if I can really be a pastor anymore because there are so many different things that, that we're dealing with. Even they're dealing with it too. You mentioned the anxiety and the panic disorders. Are they more in the forefront because people are talking about them more at Welch or are they more in the forefront just because the world's getting weirder? Is it a combination of the two? I think there is a little tiny bit of, of it's more permissible to speak about those, these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not the shame that perhaps was associated with it decades ago. So I think that's, I think that's part of it. But the other part is it, it's, it's a kind of desperation, if you will. Uh, we, we don't know what to do, and, and so it comes out of our mouth. We speak about it, and we, as we speak about it, we find that there is a certain commiseration and sometimes even a compassion people experience, which is better than nothing. And we hope that if we keep speaking about it, maybe somebody will be able to give us some sort of guidance. Mm-hmm. So, so there's no question that, that these are spoken of right now, which, which really is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to ask that question. Okay, now how does Scripture speak more profoundly than any, any human could possibly speak uh, who doesn't have scripture and an understanding of the human heart. So this, it's an opportunity for us to really go to scripture and, and say, okay, Lord, teach us more. Break mm-hmm. down barriers. How do, we, how do we speak to these very, very difficult and oftentimes life-consuming problems? Dr. Edward T. Welch is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His new book is called, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What does the Bible say? Uh, It's from the Ask a Christian Counselor series. And of course, Dr. Welch having both of those those, those backgrounds with an MDiv as well as a PhD. Um, We we talked about anxiety. We talked about panic. Uh, It sounds like a lot more people are, uh, you know, it's interesting when we talk about those two, depression always kind of shows up as kind of the uninvited triplet, you know, that goes along with that. But I think on mm-hmm. the larger on the larger scale in the culture, uh, we're seeing a lot more people who have re- been realizing the fact that they are 
victimized by traumas that have happened in their lives in the past, maybe one mm -hmm. trauma, maybe multiple. Talk about the difference between somebody who has maybe anxiety and panic disorders and someone who's got a trauma that's kind of driving some of these depression and anxiety issues that they're dealing with. Well, uh, it's a good question. But one of the things you're going to find with psychiatric diagnoses is that they begin to blur together that rarely do you have only one uh, that's discrete and different from all the rest. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar with PTSD and trauma that, that keeps, keeps breaking into the present, you're going to be familiar with depression, you're going to be familiar with hopelessness, and certainly you're going to be familiar with fears and anxieties and panic. So, so they are not as discrete as they might sound. Uh, we can find ourselves in, in so many of them without question. Uh, yeah, and the question, and, and really for us is when you, I think here's my concern. When somebody identifies a particular psychiatric or psychological struggle, they, somehow there is this, I mentioned this a second ago, there is a partition between their experience and scripture. And I think one of the reasons is, is you just don't find PTSD identified in scripture. You don't find panic mm -hmm. attacks right. identified. You don't even find depression, actually, identified in scripture. You can go to Saul, perhaps, and say he seems to fit, but that, that really doesn't help us. So a concordance really does not open up scripture on these things. So we, we tend to look other places and, and assume that here is a place where scripture is somewhat silent, which is which is a which is a really difficult thought to think that here's something that dominates our lives and and the Lord doesn't really speak about it to us. Hmm. So that I think that's what we're up against. That's that's um that's our challenge, I think, in this generation. Boy, and it, it is it is a seemingly uphill battle but there definitely is a way to you know bridge the divide uh, let's see, we've got about 90 seconds till our first break dr edward welch i mean for the person who says you know just i don't even like saying i have a psychiatric diagnosis or the other person kind of wears it like a badge of honor hey check it out you know i mean it's, it's kind of i don't want to trivialize it but I, i'm sure there are some people who are are trying to you know make peace with it what what's a good piece of advice for us in the body of christ you're working with somebody at church or maybe on the job or something like that. You find out, you know, they confide in you, this, that, and the other thing. What's a good first response from someone who is just, you know, lay ministry person, just figuring this out and saying, I want to be a helper. I want to be an aid to someone in this situation. I think the first thing, first, this is not a response. It's a way we would think about it. The first way we would think is this person is going through something very difficult and very painful. And, and I want to try to understand what this is like for this person. We move in, we move toward the person with compassion and, and with humility. That's, that's really the first order. And it's a good first step. It definitely is. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, more of this conversation, Dr. Edward T. Welch is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What does the Bible say? There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. This is not a thorough, uh, well, I don't want to say it's not thorough. It's certainly comprehensive. But if you're expecting it to be a 400-page you know, DSM type of book, that's not what you're looking at here. It is fairly easy to digest. But on the other side of this break, I want to get into the one part of this book that does not seem to line up with the others, to me anyway. And I, Dr. Welch, you know what we're going to talk about. So we'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. 
When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's so grateful to have you along today. We're talking about mental illness, psychiatric diagnoses, and how we in the church can do a better job of standing with our brothers and sisters who are going through this season. Uh, Dr. Ed Welch is my guest. We have, he has a book out called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What does the Bible say about it? We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of this book to give away right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, we hear a lot of talk in the church about being more welcoming and inclusive to all people. And quite frankly, I don't know of anyone who is worth their weight in ministry who would look at somebody with a different background, take your pick, and say, sorry, you can't come to church until you get all your sins forgiven. You know, that's, that's nuts. The question, though, is not a question of um, can somebody who is dealing with a psychosis or someone who's dealing with drug addiction or someone who's dealing with alcohol or uh, infidelity or things like that, people say unwanted same-sex attraction, if they're not welcome at church, that's not the issue. The issue is when you meet Jesus and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, what about your old sinful life is he going to say, go ahead and keep it, it's okay. I mean, the reality is, the gospel is, you and I are sinful, fallen people. Everybody, Scripture tells us, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Once we have that face-to-face encounter with our Lord and Savior, here's the deal. We believe that he died to pay the penalty for our sin, amen. But then as our Lord, he leads us away from that sin so that we will sin no more. Now, we're going to sin, but when we do, it should be less and less, and there is forgiveness because there is true repentance. So the idea that you could be a Christian, for example, and still keep living your sinful, licentious lifestyle, eh, it doesn't add up. But the good news of the gospel is God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to leave you that way. Again, we're giving away copies of Dr. Ed Welch's book, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? Give us a call right now to get your copy, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Ed Welch in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Dr. Edward T. Welch is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about his brand new book called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? From the Ask the Counselor series, Dr. Welch has a Master's in Divinity, a PhD, and is also a licensed psychologist and faculty member of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, has been in counseling ministry for over 40 years, and has written extensively on depression and fear and addictions and this, that, and the other thing. From a biblical perspective, and Ed, we were talking during the break about how it seems as though when it comes to these issues that we've been discussing, that it's in your brand new book, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? Um, Anxiety, 
panic disorders, trauma, depression. Seems like there are there's kind of an uptick in all of those diagnoses. But then you also include a chapter on narcissism. And I, I have to admit, when I was first reading through this, my first thought was, how did that get in there? You know, I mean, almost like like this was a, a chapter you're working on for something else and somehow the copy and paste wound up in the wrong book. I mean, it, literally because narcissism <laughs> seems like it's a whole separate entity. Help us understand the connection. I mean, there certainly a rise of narcissists. If you've just been to the supermarket and driven through the parking lot, you know what it's like to see narcissistic behavior. But talk about what, against trauma, depression, anxiety, panic disorders. Where does narcissism fit in all that? Yeah, we can get we can get back to the more prominent ones in a moment, but but Roger, you are an awfully good reader to be able to notice that because <laughs> uh, they you know they they all share they they fit psychiatric diagnoses they fit these uh -huh. categories so they share that but but the the difference is that that a psychiatric disorder of nar the disorder of narcissism. It's not necessarily painful to the person who experiences it. In, in, in that, it stands alone. Most psychiatric mm. disorders, they're just, they're just painful. and There are various forms of suffering that we can experience. But the suffering actually for in narcissism is the suffering for the person who is in the narcissist family or is married to a narcissist. That's mm. when it's painful. Uh, so, but it, it, it's, still, it's still the same question. How does Scripture speak to a narcissist? Uh, and how does Scripture speak to us? When we're seeking to engage wisely with a narcissist, I, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say there, even even with a narcissist, let's ask that question: How can Scripture come into a place where it, it it's usually not invited, and how can it do what it typically does with everything else in life, where it speaks more profoundly than we could possibly understand? So, so what I'm trying to do with narcissism is I'm trying to give family members. And friends, just just a, a bit more patience as they try to understand the person, and and a bit more skill, perhaps, in in the way they try to engage the person. Is narcissism? I mean, I can understand that if you look at anxiety or panic disorders, that's kind of in your DNA sometimes, since if you come from a family like that. Depression can be passed on from generation to generation. Trauma is trauma. I mean, it's either going to it's going to happen one way or the other. But narcissism does. It seems like it's a different animal. What are some of the commonalities that it has with some of these others that might help us understand? Because I, 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 I won't mention names, but, let's, but we all have narcissists in our world. I mean, as you mentioned, yep, and uh, when you're mm -hmm. and when you're trying to deal with that type of personality, sometimes it can just be so infuriating let alone frustrating. Yeah, Roger, I, I believe it's that when we when we use the phrase psychiatric disorder, psychiatric diagnosis, it's embedded in that is a, a hypothesis. It's, there's a theory. And the theory is that there's something physiological that is contributing to this. We don't know exactly how, we don't know how much, but but we tend to assume that there's something physical. There's something at the level of the brain that is contributing to these difficulties. Uh, I, I agree with that, and, and I, I think it also follows with narcissism, where on one hand, narcissism, it seems as though it, it is just overt, blatant selfishness. It is a matter of the human heart, mm -hmm. and it is, it is just sinful through and through. It, it, that's, that's the way it would appear. But I, I think there's something more than that. There is a... 
there is a lack of awareness in the narcissist world. There's a lack of awareness of the world of emotions. Um, and if you're not aware of the emotion, if you're not aware of your own emotions, if you're not aware of the feelings of other people, you will simply be indifferent to what they say. Uh, they can yell and scream at you, and, and you're not going to get it. They can speak about something that was utterly painful, and you'll change the topic to something that's more interesting to you because, because they're speaking a language that doesn't make any sense. Well, the reason I, I, I'm not trying to give any deep insight into narcissism, but here's, here's I think, the pattern for us, that if, if we can understand a person, and if we can understand that some of what they're doing is a reflection of weaknesses in the way they process life. Mm -hmm. It leads to more patience. That's, mm -hmm. I think that's the benefit for a family. When a family can, can say, here is a man or a woman who simply doesn't understand how to do relationships. Some people talk about emotional IQ and things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and some people talk about the autistic, the autistic spectrum. You know, those things are all all potentially relevant in, in this, where there is a lack of understanding of how we do relationships, which means that those of us who know how to do relationships, it, it becomes the question for us, now how can, how can I reach this person meaningfully when, when I'm speaking, in a sense, to a, in, into a very different culture than, than the one I understand? And you see, that, that question alone, instead of simply getting infuriated with a narcissist, if, if you're a missionary, in a sense, going to another culture, you, you, your frustrations are always moderated by, there are things I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I want to try mm -hmm. to understand. Um, mm -hmm. How do you understand? You talk to the person. You try to understand their world. Uh, unfortunately, now there are books, I, you know, this book and certainly many other things we can find on the Internet that will give some kind of glimpse into the inner life of a person who would fit that particular the particular category or diagnosis. Well, the book that we are talking about with Dr. Edward Welch today is called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What does the Bible say? We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It talks about common diagnoses, anxiety, panic disorders, trauma, depression, narcissism. Uh, Dr. Welch, we spent a lot of time talking about those issues themselves and, and maybe dancing around the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which is not hard to do because they're usually pretty big if they're 800 pounds. But <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out a way to, you know, to, to, to deal with this beast, if you will. How do we use scripture? Or maybe a better question might be, how do we not misuse scripture to deal with some of the things yeah. we've been talking about? Yeah. Uh, here's, let me give just a couple tiny steps in. I often think of Psalm 62, 8, where the psalmist encourages us, implores us to pour out our heart to the Lord. And in some ways, there's a question that precedes everything, every psalm in Scripture. And, and the question is, is, is the Lord speaking to us? What are the things that are on your heart? What are the things that are, what are, what are your fears? What are the things that hurt? When does it seem as though that I'm not even there? Those are those, the implicit questions that, that are behind the psalms. They God is saying, here's, here's how life works in my house. Speak to me from your heart. Now, that seems like a small step. It seems like a really easy step. But frankly, to speak about our struggles to another human being is not that difficult 
assuming the person loves us and it brings a certain sensitivity and compassion and understanding to us. But it is not as natural to speak those things to the Lord. So, so if a person is simply able to speak of their particular struggle to the Lord, that is, that is a huge step. And, and what you're going to find in Scripture is you don't come to the Lord and say, well, Lord, I'm here, I'm, I'm struggling with panic attacks. What he says, and you'll see this in a few different psalms, it's almost as if he's saying, tell me more. No, give me, give me more words. And occasionally in the psalms, he'll say, is it like this? Is it like this? Is it like this? And so he asks us to, to wrestle with, well, tell me what it's like. Uh, and to, to put that diagnosis in, in images, in metaphors, in, in words and descriptions, uh, and speak them to the Lord. That's... That's where the partition between these disorders and, 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 and the Lord, that's, that's where it begins to break down. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's only the beginning, right. but, but that, that by itself is, is a huge step. And then the conversation goes, okay, now, Lord, what, what do you say to me? <laughs> this is what I've said mm-hmm. to you now. Mm-hmm. What do you say to me? It's amazing how pouring your heart out to the one who knows your heart and made your heart uh, brings that healing about. And uh, I love the way that God, uh, you see it in the healing of Jesus, uh, the healings of Jesus when he walked the earth, and the way that uh, God just doesn't automatically wake up in the morning and he heals you. Uh, from whatever you're dealing with, but sometimes he's got this process for us to work through. And as more and more people, Dr. Ed Welch, have been coming forward with saying, hey, look, I have a psychiatric diagnosis. I'm going to get counseling. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the, this process, even though it's a little bit painful. Um, it does give us a lot more freedom to relish in the fact that we realize we're imperfect beings and, um, you know, God's grace is sufficient for us. Uh, Dr. Edward Welch, the book is called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What Does the Bible Say? We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's going to be a big help for a lot of our listeners. Thank you for writing it, and thank you for spending time with us today here on The Bottom Line. Pleasure, Roger. Thanks so much. We have this resource here. Well, it's up at thebottomlineshow.com, but we'd love to give you a chance to win a copy. So uh, we've got Crystal standing by right now, taking your calls, probably sitting by. I don't think she stands to answer the phone. It's just a figure of speech. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Pastors, if you have, if you have, you know there's someone in your congregation who's wrestling with this. And you know that it was probably exacerbated during the pandemic. And you know that there's someone who's just waiting for someone to ask them about this issue. Because if they bring it up, you might think, oh my gosh, what do I do? I'm not trained. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm just a counselor. This is a resource you need to take a look at. Again, Dr. Edward Welch, the book is called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What Does the Bible Say? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, I'm going to out one of our programmers here at the Bottom Line Show. I know that sounds so Maury Povich, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, well, who is it and what did they do? Well, um, I'll tell you who she is on the other side of this break and then ask the question, what do you think about what she has done to her body? She says she did it to honor God. Well, what do you think? We're going to open up the phones and give you a chance to weigh in on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 
My thanks again to Dr. Edward T. Welch for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Been a big fan of Ed's work for about 15 years, and every chance we get a chance to uh, get him on the program, I highly recommend that we do, and Tamara was successful this time. Uh, licensed psychologist and uh, a faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF. Uh, he's been counseling for over 40 years and has written this great book, called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? It's from the Ask the Christian Counselor series from New Growth Press. We have a copy of the book we're giving away right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, when I think about people who are wrestling with uh, mental challenges, oftentimes, you know, you ask the question, well, you know, what about somebody who's obsessive compulsive disorder really gets in the way of relationships or someone who's bipolar? What was it? Beth Moore uh, has written her autobiography and in it, she uh, was very critical of the way the Southern Baptist convention handled a sexual abuse case that was sexual abuse committed against her by her own father, who was a pretty big shot in an SBC church when she was growing up. And then you've got, uh, you know, she also mentioned an, Oh, by the way, type of thing. Um, the, her husband, Keith has been battling PTSD for all 45 years of their marriage. And, you know, she said the in a quote that I read in an article about this whole issue, she said, you know, we didn't know which Keith was going to wake up every morning. You know, we, we didn't know who we we're going to be dealing with. And if you have ever found yourself in that situation, I mean, I know what it's like to be in a relationship in a family dynamic with someone who had, they called it bad bipolar anxiety, depression. And it's just this spinning wheel and it gets control of people and they wind up turning to drugs or alcohol, uh, you know, to try to numb the pain or steady the floor underneath their feet. But then there's the church and the church comes in and says, well, you know what? Uh, uh, you want to be clothed in your right mind and don't get drunk with wine. And, you know, there's got to be some kind of demonic activity. And I'm thinking, wait, doesn't Paul have this whole issue <laughs> where he says, Three times I went to God with a thorn in my flesh, and all three times God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, you're not going to need anything more than my grace to withstand what it is that's tormenting you. I, I, Shane Claiborne's written a book on this type of topic about saying, hey, why don't we re-examine what it means to be pro-life? Let's, let's kind of move away from the anti-abortion thing to talk about every aspect of life. And I think mental health is about to get its time on center stage in the church, to which I would say it's about time. I mean, if you know that, uh, you know, someone has gone to a psychiatrist and had that kind of, uh, preferably someone who's a person of faith, and has gotten that diagnosis, the next question, of course, is, well, now what? You know, what does the Bible say about this? Is this, is you know, in the Old Testament times, anytime anyone had any kind of infirmity, you saw what it was. What did this man do? You know, Jesus, well, New Testament. What did this man do? How did his parents sin that he was born blind? You know, I mean, that, there was, that was a real belief and part of the belief system in Old Testament into Jesus' day. And something tells me that we may still be teaching that type of stuff and saying, hey, wait a minute, these things that don't look perfect to us, maybe just maybe the things that don't look perfect are, you know, the, the, the ways that God is going to glorify himself. Doesn't scripture also remind us that God's strength is made uh, perfect in human weakness? I'm, 
Anyway, we have one copy of this book. I have a psychiatric diagnosis is the title. Uh, we have one copy to give away, and Crystal's taking your calls right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, I mentioned before the break that I was going to out, in quotes, uh, one of our Bible teachers here on Bottom Line Show stations all across the country, mostly in the Western U.S., and, uh, and I say this in kind of a playful way, actually. It's not a full-blown outing, as it were, and as the, you know, in the media. It's like, oh, well, you've got this deep, dark secret, and someone's going to let you know. It's not a deep, dark secret. It was in the Christian Post last week. Uh, <laughs> Joyce Meyer, televangelist, Bible teacher. You hear Joyce Meyer weekdays, 10 a.m. to 10.15 on our flagship station, KBRT. Joyce Meyer Ministries recently posted a video clip from Joyce's YouTube page back in October that she should get a tattoo. In case you were keeping score at home, um, Joyce Meyer is 79 years old. And she said, it's funny. Earlier, there's a piece Christian Post did a year or so ago saying, Joyce Meyer, Joyce Meyer defends tattoos, says she might get one to make religious people mad. Well, guess what? She got one. Now, it is not the same tattoo. If you heard about this guy in Las Vegas, there's a pastor who decided he wanted to get a tattoo. He did so on, he was preaching a sermon series on having a new identity in Christ. He's a bald guy, and he has a tattoo of the head of Jesus on his head. That seems a little extreme to me. Now, I know some people will come back and say, well, Joyce Meyer, why did you get a tattoo? Isn't there Old Testament, you know, you should not cut into your body, graven images, blah, blah, blah. Um, Joyce actually has scripture to back up her decision for getting a tattoo. Basically, the part about not getting a tattoo, not cutting your body, you know, to honor someone who's dead, which is kind of an old, uh, an old Testament ritual for some people. God said the people of God, you should not be marked that way. Joyce Meyer responded by saying, well, look, in Isaiah 49, 16, the Lord says, behold, I have indelibly imprinted, tattooed, a picture of you on the palm of each of my hands. And she said, ever since I read that scripture, that said people had tattooed the people had tattooed on their hands i belong to the lord i thought i want to get that tattoo <laughs> i want to get one that says i belong to jesus and of course your crowd went crazy and they really enjoyed it so here's my question to you do you agree with joyce meyer making the case for christians getting tattoos i know this might seem kind of cultural but I have some personal skin in this game as well, and I'd love to get your take on it. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. <clears throat> we are still taking your calls on Ed Welch's book on having a psychiatric diagnosis. What does the Bible say about those types of things? We'll take those calls till the top of the hour as well. Same number, 800-227-5278. But uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get a little bit deeper into what Scripture says about tattoos and get your opinion as to what you think of them as well. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line.
Para para. Okay, can't get down that low. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Uh, what do you want to bet? All those musicians have tattoos. What do you want to bet? Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's also the number to contact Crystal right now. We've got a couple minutes left in our giveaway of an outstanding book for people who are battling with uh, uh, bipolar and depression and narcissism, OCD, PTSD, whatever it is, um, whether it's for you or someone you love. The book is called I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What does the Bible say? Uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. By the way, I should mention this more often. Um, we saw during the pandemic more and more people wrestling with um, feelings of depression and even suicide, going so far as to possibly consider taking their lives. Uh, there are a lot of great organizations, the American Association of Christian Counselors, AACC.net. If you go there, you'll find a whole laundry list, if you will, of uh, qualified men and women who can help you uh, you know, get the, the, the help that you need for the feelings that you or your loved one are dealing with. Um, also, there is a new national hotline, 988. You know, it's kind of like we always think 911's become part of the vernacular. If you're in a distressing situation, you call 911. And unfortunately, we've heard the stories of 911 operators who get complaints for people um, who are upset because they, you know, their pizza was cold or something. That's not what you call 911 for. But 988 is connected to a group of uh, trained counselors uh, from. 200 plus different organizations that are designed to help anybody dealing with a, a problem, you know, a potential mental challenge that might lead them to think um, it's, you know, you know this, there's nothing else left except for um, taking your life. And so 988, make sure you have that handy for someone, you know, who's dealing with um, uh, suicide thoughts of depression, things of that nature. We're talking about Joyce Meyer and Joyce Meyer quoting Old Testament to do battle with Old Testament with regard to tattoos, ink on her body, as it were. Um, when she told her audience at one of her events last fall, some of you think it's fine. And some of you think, man, you get a tattoo, you're on your way to hell. And she said, I think you're free to think what you want to, but you're not free to judge people who do what you don't think they should do. And then she said, you know, what, at Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16, Behold, I have indelibly imprinted, tattooed a picture of you on the palm of each of my hands. And she said, you know, if that is what people used to do when they said, I belong to the Lord, I'm going to get a tattoo that says I belong to Jesus. Now, I've often, I mean, I've had mixed emotions about this. I grew up in a home where dad didn't have tattoos, mom didn't, grandma and grandpa didn't. But then as my kids got older, they did. Uh, first, my oldest daughter, Emily, uh, she got one, uh, and then she got one with her husband. And then she got one with her siblings. And then she got one to honor her mother who passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, all three kids got one to honor her mother. Now, I'll be honest with you, of the ones that they have as a dad, that one honoring their mother is actually kind of interesting because that's the one of the four that she has that I would say, wait a minute. You know, the Old Testament says, you know, it was a ritual that a lot of people would cut their skin, as the uh, Hebrew is translated, to basically uh, honor somebody who had dead or as a, in a way of grieving or mourning that loss. That one says to me, hey, you know, that maybe isn't the right reason to do it, even though you know lots of people who've done it. Maybe you've done it yourself. 
Now, any Christian would be okay with the idea, hey, I had all these tattoos and then I became a Christian and now I don't have any more. I get it. But I see a lot of younger people. I mean, the statistics I've seen with the under 40 set are pretty staggering, like 59% of young adults in the United States have at least one tattoo. Well, Joyce Meyer got one at age 79. It says, I belong to Jesus. She likes it. What do you think? Was it wise for her to do so? Uh, Thumbs up, thumbs down, stay in neutral. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Don't get me wrong. This is not a ban the people who have tattoos and listen to the Bottom Line Show. Um, But, you know, the people who would jump in on the tattoo bandwagon and say, hey, you should do it or you shouldn't do it may be missing out. Um, I'm watching a Chad Bird video here. uh, Actually, he's talking about the Israelites and the word for tattooing. And quite frankly, he says, look, he doesn't want them to engage in anything that has to do with the demonic and the the old world, as it were. Um, you know, and that cutting his skin was kind of like wearing sackcloth and ashes. But in the New Testament, it's um, it, it's basically even a guy like Chad who who digs so deeply on this says, "Hey, look, this is kind of one of those agree to disagree." You know, uh, Leviticus nineteen twenty eight, for example, says. You shouldn't get ink that way, but that's in the Old Testament sense. That's only for the Israelites. That's only for the people of the Old Covenant, the way he interprets it. So basically, he says, choose wisely and choose freely. And that's the end of it. I'll put that up at thebottomlineshow.com. I thought that was a good piece. Joyce Meyer Ministries released a video that actually, she's had this for quite some time. Uh, Joyce did a video where she told a group of women at one of her conferences that she thinks that getting a tattoo is pretty cool, so much so that she, at age 79, got one, and her husband, who I believe is age 82, also got one. Now, it's Leviticus 19.28, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord, you know, and we're in the Levitical law. Now, it's amazing how many people have said, you know, there are no Christ-honoring Christians who have tattoos on their bodies. I know some Christians who do, but you know, I don't think so. But the New Testament is kind of a gray area. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's become so common with younger people. I just thought it was kind of curious. How many people I know, Joyce is really popular on K Bright, our flagship affiliate here in Southern California, and also when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, the, the people who listen to Joyce and watch her all over the, the, the country. Um, but I'm curious as to what you think about Joyce getting a tattoo, what you think about tattoos on the whole. And so we're going to spend the rest of the program talking about ink. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Tom in San Jose. Tom, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you, Tom. What do you think of uh, Joyce's tattoo? Well, I think uh, I've always been like, for or against tattoos, uh, but it's the content of the tattoo that uh, has always bothered me. Okay. Uh, I don't see any problem with having a tattoo saying uh, I'm a king's kid or praise God or anything like that. I don't see it as being cut. You know, it's not the same thing as cutting your body. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, it's just what you what you put on your body that would make the difference. Yeah, you know that's that's an interesting point, and I'm glad you brought it up, Tom. I was talking with a guy who's a counselor in the uh, and works in the youth ministry world. His name is Tim Kimmel, and his son went off to Christian college, sent his dad a text message. This is probably 15 years ago, and said, "Hey, Dad, I just want to let you know I'm coming home with ink on my hands." And he said, oh, my gosh, what did he do? What did he do? So they came home and he was wearing a long sleeve shirt and he made, you know, kind of a big dramatic presentation there at the dinner table. And finally, he rolled up his sleeves and he noticed on the left wrist he had written grace and on the right yeah. wrist he'd written truth. And he said, Very I just good. want those as my remark. Yeah. And, I, and Tim, he said, I was so excited, you know, to see that happen. He goes, I figure if you're going to get a tattoo or tattoos in this case, that's the way to go. So, you're, Tom, you're saying that you're. It's it's the content of it and the spirit with which it's done more important than the yeah. fact that you did or didn't do it. And I can see where that having a tattoo with a Christian, you know, something Christian would be a opportunity to start a conversation and maybe even get somebody saved. Who knows? Absolutely, absolutely. And and in this day and age where it's getting so difficult for people of the faith to actually have a conversation, and he actually had him in Latin, he had gravitas and veritas, but nonetheless, I mean, to, to have that there, uh, I... I'm that guy who goes through the line at the supermarket and goes, hey, that's an interesting pin. What does that mean? Or what is that, you know, that symbol yeah. for if someone's up wearing yeah. it? Because if they give you the opportunity, I'm going to ask that question. And, um, and so it I, sounds like, I like Tom, what uh, I like what Robert Morris says. He says that he takes every opportunity that he can in a grocery line or any, any place like that to witness to people. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and it, it's getting to the point now where we really, really need to do that um, more yep. often than not. And uh, make the most of what's Ephesians 5, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So, Tom, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Thanks for calling in today from San Jose. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Have a blessed day. 800-227-5278. Joyce Meyer making headlines. Uh, now, you know, Joyce Meyer usually makes headlines because people go, well, there's a woman preaching the Bible again, and we're not sure about that. But I'll tell you what, I mean, we've been doing, we're in our 12th year of the Bottom Line Show, originated at KBRT AM 740 in Southern California. We've expanded to AM 1240, um, FM 103.3 and 100.7 in Southern California. We're at uh, 770 KCBC and 94.7 in Modesto and AM 1220 KLDC live for the program 90 minutes every day and a a recorded delayed version on KLTT in, in Denver as well. And uh, as we have spread and as we have expanded, Joyce Meyer's program hasn't gone anywhere. It's still getting a lot of response from people, a lot of people who are loving what she says in terms of her Bible teaching. I think it's kind of gutsy, kind of a bold move at the age of 79 to get a tattoo. But for those who look at Leviticus 19.28 and say you're not supposed to cut your body, you know, basically the the whole don't uh, do this as a sign of... uh, you know, honoring the dead and engaging in cultural customs of that time. Uh, that's for the people of Israel. But Joyce says, well, I looked at the Old Testament, saw Isaiah 49, 16, that says, behold, I have indelibly imprinted or tattooed a picture of you on the palm of each of my hands. And boy, I'll tell you what, if my name is there, if my face is there, then by golly, <laughs> I, I love it. But Tom brought up an interesting point about the times we're living in right now. And I want to embellish on this just a little bit. The idea that here we are as children of the King, children of the living God, living in a culture right now where even doing something as 
audacious, if you will, as wearing a cross. I mean, that's been a sign of, you know, Christian unity and the love of Christ toward us for years. And we often forget, I mean, this is a sign of execution and death. I mean, remember, I mean, this is, I've heard some Bible teachers say, it's kind of like wearing a guillotine or uh, an assault rifle or, you know, electric chair around your neck, because that was the most heinous way to die in the Roman day. I mean, when Jesus was put to death, it was the most painful, it was the most humiliating, excruciating death known to mankind. And for us to wear this cross down and say, oh, no, that's not what we see. When we see a cross, we see life. We see forgiveness. We see the power of that cross, Jesus dying to basically kill death. And it's just, it's beautiful, you know, to, to think about that. I mean, it, it's that, that in and of itself is, it's just interesting the way people look at different aspects of life. I mean, we think about this in the Sanctity of Life community. The fact that uh, you've got California Governor Gavin Newsom, for example, saying, well, we're not going to do business with Walgreens because they won't give, uh, you know, they won't dispense mifepristone. And if they're not going to help women whose lives are hanging in the balance, then we're going to, you know, we're, we're not going to do business with them. Well, Walgreens has elected not to sell and distribute the abortion pill, so-called medical abortion pill. And the reason is because it kills children. I mean, it is a killer. The same people who say don't show an ultrasound of a child to a mom because it's too traumatic are missing the point. The whole point with the ultrasound machine is you want to show how beautiful this baby is. These 4D images are incredible. Our preborn clinic reports are fantastic as to what the ultrasound technology does. But you know what's remarkable about this is the same people who are saying don't show the ultrasound to the woman because it's too traumatic are wallpapering over the fact that the trauma is if you show the image of the ultrasound to a woman and she sees her child's face and she hears her child's heartbeat, she does not want to end that child's life. And I'm so grateful for those who are part of the Bottom Line Show family, like you, who support the Ministry of Preborn, and we could use new supporters all the time. As the fight for life grows more intense each and every day, the battle for the existence of human beings that God has created in the mother's wombs and has ordained to live. I highly recommend that you make a donation to preborn. $28 saves a baby's life. $15,000 is the cost of putting an ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic. I'll have information later on how you can make that donation, but please do so. In the meantime, make sure you have our phone number handy, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we're taking your calls on Joyce Meyer's decision to get a tattoo. And for those who are listening and watching on myhopenow.com, I hope you can see this. I'm moving away from the mic here. Uh, I'm just going to say that people who are watching on my hope now can get an idea of how i feel about tattoos i'll go into greater detail talking about this on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment you know our friends at preborn are doing such great work i mentioned the fact that governor newsom in california is just on the warpath right now trying to keep women from seeing 
what ultrasound technology can do. A $15,000 donation right now will save 250 babies per year for at least 10 years. I mean, think of the math, $15,000 donation, 2,500 children at least will be saved here in the People's Republic of California right now. Can you make that donation to Preborn? 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to cambrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner. You see a couple of cute kids all wrapped up in swaddling cloths, and they just look so adorable. You want to click on and make that donation right there. Now, if you want to save an individual child's life today, you can do so with a $28 donation. That's how much it costs to make that, uh, that ultrasound technology a reality do the whole pregnancy test, ultrasound technician, the whole shot. $28 saves one life. $140 saves five. Can we get five people to make $140 donations between now and 430 at the end of the program? $700 to do it. We can save well, 20 kids right now. 833-850-BABY is the number to call or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh, and so good to have you along for the ride today. We're talking about Joyce Meyer and tattoos. I know that doesn't seem like they go together, but Joyce Meyer got a tattoo. And I was just curious as to what you thought about this. Uh, 800-227-5278. She said, she, and actually she had it done, I think, in Australia. She was traveling. And uh, she was at a meeting about five years ago, and she was talking about tattoos, and and uh, the, this tattoo artist heard her comments, and she said, "I, I the, the artist had gone through a really hellish thing. He had bipolar. His mind was already kind of messed up, and then a bunch of religious Christians convinced him that because he was a tattoo artist, he was going to hell. And that's when he heard me say that I wanted to get a tattoo that said, I belong to the Lord, or I belong to Jesus. And he said he would decide to go back in business and he wanted to create the tattoo. And so they found out that she had a mutual friend who was a tattoo artist in Dallas and they went ahead and did it. And so both Joyce and her husband, Dave, got their tattoos. Dave at age 82, Joyce at age 79. I think it's interesting because, you know, she said the Leviticus 19:28 verse, don't cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. It's a reference to what was a common way in the ancient world, the non-Christian world, the ungodly world of people mourning. And we know that's real. Remember when the, uh, um, was it uh, Liberia had the uh, Ebola outbreak and it was very, very challenging for Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's ministry, to do the ministry that they were trying to do there because there was like one or two uh, doses of the vaccine. And yet the people, it was spreading like crazy in Liberia because of a religious custom. People were getting Ebola because for every one person who died of it, there would be at least 10 more people that were involved in the handling of the body trying to wash the body clean, get it ready for burial. They'd all get it and they would die. Like 600,000 people died. So here's Franklin Graham's organization. They're trying to honor the customs of the culture, but at the same time, you know, watching and realizing, hey guys, if you would just wear gloves and not touch the body with so many hands and do more to protect yourself, it wouldn't spread as quickly. So they were able to finally get enough doses of the vaccine. They were able to kind of stop the outbreak and the spread and minister the gospel at the same time. 
Well, what do you think? Joyce Meyer got a tattoo. She says, I don't look at Leviticus 19.28. That's for the old Israelites in the old covenant. I look at Isaiah 49.16 that says, I have your face literally tattooed in the palm of my hands, God says. Name's written there. Face is written there. Everybody who's written in the book of life, God's hands are big enough for all that. And that's the reason she and her husband got tattoos. What do you think? 800-227-5278. Back to the phones now. Dave in Garden Grove. Dave, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Hello. Hey, Dave. Couple of thoughts came to my mind. One of them okay. is when I hear that talk about imprinting on the palm of your hands, I don't get a picture of a tattoo, but I do get a picture of thorns instead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a good point. That's literally uh-huh. good point. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, it, it could be argued where he got them, as you know, like the nail prints being maybe mm-hmm. in the in the wrist. But the point is that he he still was covered all over the place, probably his hands too, with thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is that the now late. R.C. Sproul said, don't expect to get a job on K Street if you have a tattoo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, do you know where K Street is? Yeah, that's the, is that uh, in the financial district? No, it's the famous uh, street in Washington, D.C., where all the um, oh, the influential lawyers are. The politicals, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Law, Law City, USA. Yeah, so those are my yeah. two thoughts. Okay, good comments. Thanks so much for that. I'll respond to the second one first simply because that was the comment that I had when my son came to me and said, Hey dad, I'm going to be 18 soon. I'm going to get a, uh, I'm going to pierce my ears and I'm going to get a tattoo. And I said, well, well, you're 18. It's your decision. My only caution was make sure it doesn't keep you from the job market. <laughs> you know? And here's the deal. When it comes to this being a generational thing, I know people who served in world war II, who served in Korea, who served in Vietnam, who have lots of ink. Uh, had a neighbor years before he had, was a World War II veteran, and he had the name of the, uh, uh, he was on an aircraft carrier that actually survived uh, a, a bombing in one of the battles in World War II. And he had a replica of that tattooed on his forearm with his serial number or whatever it was. And uh, Preston was a, a good man of God, but he had that to remember what he'd been through. And I can only imagine what it's like to be someone who's involved in the theater of war and have to go through that conflict. But to Dave's point about K Street, you know what? 59% of people under the age of 40, I've read, have some kind of tattoo on their body. It's becoming more commonplace. And so because it has become more commonplace, that's not going to keep you. I mean, R.C. Sproul's comment was very well intended for his generation. But for R.C. Sproul Jr. and younger, not going to be that way. (coughs) So, uh that's a cultural thing, but I appreciate Tom calling that in and giving his thoughts on this. 800-227-5278, Joyce Meyer got a tattoo. Um, and I think it's wonderful that she did. And I'll tell you the reason why, because I like what she said on the tattoo. It's like Tom's comment earlier. I belong to God. I belong to the Lord. I think we're living in times right now where it's going to get to the point where people are going to want to make a witness and want to make a bold witness and short of, you know, being able to make that witness verbally, the tattoo makes it for you visually. You have, I mean, it's a commitment. And I say that as somebody who has been inked recently. Last year, uh, toward the end of the year, my daughter, Emily and her husband, Brian, and the grandson moved to uh, Texas, just outside of Houston area. 
And they approached me, the, her younger sister and brother approached me and said, dad, would you like to get a tattoo? The four of us, just something that's meaningful for us. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, I think that'd be wonderful. And so uh, the week between Christmas and New Year, we took a day. There's a place down here uh, by the K-Bright Studios, actually. Uh, tattoo guy who went to Calvary Chapel, uh, went Calvary Chapel High School, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And uh, we explained what we wanted. We wanted something to do with olive branches. Olive branches have a deep significance for us. Of course, olive oil and scripture and the olive branch that is often seen as a sign of peace and peacemaking. And I chose a design that has an olive branch that intersects with a, uh, a cross. It intersects at the foot of the cross. And then a Bible verse. And I didn't have the text written out. I just had the verse for frame of reference. And it's 3 John chapter 4. Or excuse me, 3 John verse 4. You know, those tiny little epistles right before Revelation. And in the book of, in the letter of 3 John, which just has verses, it's only one chapter. In verse 4, John says, I have no greater delight, I have no greater joy than knowing that my children walk in truth. And I thought it was a very appropriate verse to have for my kids and then for my grandson and granddaughters and grandsons to see uh, in the years that go by. Now, Lisa and I will probably get tattoos together at some point. We are, we've discussed it. We just haven't settled on the right design and verse yet. But I have a reason for going under and getting the ink done. First, there was no bloodshed, by the way. So technically, my skin wasn't cut. <laughs> the ink was punched in there, and I had no irritation, no whatever. I mean, they've really changed the way they do this. But I want to tell you why it was important for me to do this and lay my case for saying I'm standing with Joyce Meyer on this one. I, I may not agree with all of her Bible teaching, but on this one, I think she's got it spot on. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired, and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking tattoos, 800-227-5278. And I got a text. We don't have a, a text yet for the Bottom Line Show. We should, where you, people can text me and I can respond to their texting stuff. But I got this text and I wanted to share it with you before we go any further. But let me uh, first congratulate a winner. I want to congratulate um, Victor from San Diego. Uh, he's the one who won Ed Welch's book about I have a psychiatric diagnosis. And um, I, Victor, I'm, I'm equally thrilled. Crystal just sent me the note that you were super jazzed to, you know, to have won. And I'm thrilled that you are thrilled. And I hope that you uh, really get a lot out of this book. I think it's going to be a big help for you. So thanks for calling and welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Um, here's the text I got during the commercial break. It's from my sister. Now, my sister, Linda, I talk about Linda a lot. She's, I love her more than life. And she's a registered nurse. 
And so uh, she has this opinion of, she texted me and said, hey, bro, this is my call-in to the bottom line show regarding tattoos. Remember Leviticus 19.28 talks about the cutting of the skin and how we shouldn't do it. My sister, the nurse, says, technology and technique are less invasive than they were in biblical times. Nowadays, tattoos are more imprint than carving. I have no problem with tattoos that glorify the Lord. This includes the content of the message, the quality of the artwork and the design, and the way the design presents the person's character. We have all seen tattoos that are beautiful works of art, which clearly glorify God, and those, particularly sleeves, that can look kind of trashy. Nothing that looks like trashy junk is going to glorify him. So there you go. My sister, the nurse, weighs in. Thank you, Linda, and I appreciate that, that comment. People ask me why I did what I did in terms of getting a tattoo. Like Joyce Meyer did, I did it for the same reason that Joyce and her husband did. My kids asked me, and that was important. But I know that ultimately it's a decision that I made because I want to make sure that if there's ever a time when I'm not able to witness my faith, that people will see the cross, they will see the place where salvation was worked out and meted out for me and for you, for anyone. That's where our salvation begins, is Jesus on the cross, dying to pay the penalty for our sin. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with our hearts God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the first part. The second part, though, the olive branch intersecting at the base of the cross is a representation of the fact that we now have peace with God. We have friends and friendship with God. And then third, the legacy part. It's the third John 4. I do have no greater delight. There are so many things in this world that give me great joy. But as a dad, as a husband, as one who has trained my kids up to the best of my ability and then let God's supernatural ability take over, knowing that all three of them, and now all six of them, are walking in truth, uh, just does my heart so good. So to those who have, as a matter of fact, if you do have a picture of a tattoo that you have on your body and you don't want to weigh in on the conversation, but you'd like to share it with us, send it to us at thebottomlineshow.com and we'll, maybe we'll put together a, a wall of ink, as it were. But you think about the things in this life, like my sister's point about the fact that this is less carving and more imprinting now. It's an outward representation. We do realize that at some point, the enemy is going to have, you know, rule and reign in this earth. And those who will receive his mark will be able to engage in commerce and buy and sell and basically keep on living their normal lives so they think. And those who refuse that mark are not going to have any option. At the same time, though, we are going to be literally marked with the sign of the cross and sealed with the Holy Spirit forever. And the only people who are going to be see seeing it are everybody except us. Think of like a little cross tattoo on your forehead or on your face, or somewhere where it's it's impossible to ignore. Will that lead to the end of life for some people who are still walking the face of the earth when the enemy's roaming? Yeah, the end of this life. You'll be ushered into eternity. But the question we have to ask is, how do we, in ways that people will readily understand, witness our faith? I realize that I could preach a <clears throat> hundred sermons to certain people in this culture, and the one thing that God could use more powerfully than my spoken word is this ink on my right forearm. If that is how God wants to use this, then I'm honored that he would. A lot of thought and a lot of prayer went into this. 
Trust me, it wasn't some, oh my gosh, I was really tired and what did I do and whatever. I knew exactly what I was getting into when I did this. And I would hope that every Christian who does get inked would do the same and do so gladly and joyfully as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Let everything we do glorify God. Let everything we say glorify God. How we eat and drink, let it bring glory to God so that others might see Jesus' good works in us and give glory to our Father in heaven. That's the bottom line. 